tell me about your first community group you were in. Yeah, so we uh, we actually went through Discovery in 20, 2013, something like that, um, and came out of that and actually joined uh, Trent Harmon's small group. Um, a couple of names you might know, the C's were in that group, the Ratliffs were in that group, um, and really just enjoyed that group and, and team that we got to meet from there. Um, the Mulvaney's kind of mentored us through that season, so we were meeting with them individually, uh, did a men's study, she led a, a women's study, um, and really just got to, to dive into community group life. That was the first group we had been in and uh, really felt welcomed and got to start a new season of life. It was really cool. And as we grew as, as a couple and as a, as a group, we kind of found out that Lamar and the Steigers had touched so many different lives that we were now meeting through that initial group. And we've kind of seen just how far that family tree reaches. Um, so it's been cool to look back you know, eight years later and say like, wow, we stepped into a group not knowing what God had for us. And then looking back, have seen just how far that family tree extends and how many families have been touched. It's funny for me, I grew up with uh, Lamar's daughter. We were classmates in school together. We were never in the Steigers group. We were kind of a part of like this generational growth of they had a group and then they launched groups and then those groups multiplied. And then somewhere along those branches became uh, the group that we were in and then eventually the group that we are leading. Let's talk about what multiplication has looked like for you. What, what put it in your brain to start thinking, hey, I wonder what this looks like for us. I agree, I think multiplication can be a scary word because usually those groups that are ready to multiply are those ones that are solid and they're healthy and they feel bonded and it's just, you know, you got a good thing going and it's like, well, do we want to change it? That's uncomfortable. Yeah, I was just going to say, when, when we decided to lead a small group, we actually didn't know anything about it. We just said, let's try this. We're new to the concept, let's kind of create a group that for people that haven't been in a group or that are looking for a new group. And it was kind of the same thing with multiplication. We just kind of said, it feels like we can make two thriving groups. Let's begin to talk to other people that we think could lead these groups and just see what they feel like. And over the course of know, a year or two years, something like that, we introduced the idea, we began to kind of share responsibilities and then eventually said, okay, let's let's make the leap. And coming out of it, it was, it was fantastic. So the Blosses and the Peebles multiplied from our group and took uh, about half the group with them and, and it's been a, a great experience. How would you encourage? What would, what would you say to somebody that knows that it would be really healthy, but just is not quite? I would say take the leap. We, we didn't know everything that was gonna happen on the way in and we trusted God was gonna just put a path forward and lead the right families into the group and you know, direct our conversations, direct the topics that we studied, and that's really happened. Um, I mean, through the course of our small group, through the course of the men's and women's relationships that we've created, led us to reading books and doing different studies, which led us to adoption, which led to a path that we didn't even see maybe before small group life. So I think what I would say is there's a path for you that God has that you may not even see yet, and trust that it's going to be His will and jump in. Encouraging to see people, faithful and available people, just being willing to step forward and multiply a community group to make space for more and for new people. That encourages my heart so much. God is so good. 
Well, welcome. We're glad that you've joined here with us today to worship. If this is your first time or your 10th time or maybe you've been coming for months, we're really, really glad that you're here. And we do want to know you. So we always have people out in, at the community booth in the foyer after the service, you can find someone there that can answer questions for you and talk to you about the next steps in getting connected here at Fellowship. Ladies, we have a way coming up for you this week to connect with other women, like in two days. So on Tuesday night at seven o'clock, we're gonna gather here um, on, in the courtyard outside Bring a lawn chair. We're gonna circle up and gather up with women and meet some women that you don't know just for a time of fellowship and connection. I met so many women last summer. I don't know if any of you were able to come, but we had these gatherings last summer and I have met so many women, really, that I've been able to continue relationship with over the year that I met last summer. So this is a great time for us people like myself who've been around fellowship a long time and for the new ones. So ladies, come out and bring your lawn chair. If it rains, we'll just come on into the foyer. So come anyway, we look forward to seeing you. Today is the third week in our Rhythms series, and we have um, these booklets that are a, such a good companion that go along with the sermon series that we're going to be doing out throughout the course of the summer. I have personally really enjoyed being in this this week and going through the prayer and meditation section that we that we did last week and. There are a lot of good scriptures for your personal time of study, and there are also some resources listed here. So if you would like one of these books, they're available for you in the foyer. They're $10. You also can go online and download it from our website. Last week, Mickey was here when we did our prayer and meditation week, and he shared about several prayer resources, some books that were available for you if you wanted to pick them up. One of those books was um, called Extreme Prayer by Greg Pruitt, and Mickey has had Greg on the podcast, on his Ride Home podcast, and that podcast dropped this week. So if you would like to go and hear about Greg's ministry that he has and Mickey's conversation with him, that's available for you now. Would you all join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord together? Dear Lord, you are worthy of our full attention this morning. Many of us have come in with so many things on our mind, things that are worrying us, things that are distracting us, things that really pull our heart and our mind away from you. Lord, we know that you, you know that about us and you love us and you desire for us to be close to you. Lord, we're thankful that you made a way for us to come to you, give us direct access to you through prayer and through your word by your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. In this time together this morning, Lord, would you just help us to align our hearts with you, Lord? Would you speak to us through your word? Will you help us to be present with you in these moments? You are worthy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing this morning?
this morning, we look to you. Or sometimes in this past week, I know I was not just looking to you as my foundation. And this morning, would you search us? Would you know us? And any areas of our hearts that were built on sand. In your kindness, would you just wash those out? So I would 
Jesus, when we're in these seasons where the rain comes and the wind blows, when we look to you and remember that you're our rock.
Good morning. Welcome to a foreshadowing of your week this week. You know, we are so well led here. I was just sitting there thinking as we were singing together a minute ago, uh, the Spirit of God leading His people through His people. I know it looks ordinary, but it is so extraordinary. Uh, 100% of the people leading us this morning in worship are volunteer lay leaders in our body, wanting to just give to the Lord and to His people. Even the video we just saw, Cassidy and Brandon, thank you for putting that together for us. I'm grateful. I'm just super grateful. Hey, last weekend, our family came together for my mom's uh, celebration of life service. Um, early before church, uh, Mother's Day morning, got a call that she went home to be with the Lord. And uh, because I uh, come from a large family and I'm the only local uh, sibling, it, it kicked off a two-week flurry of activity. I got to tell you, I have a little activity addiction, so I like that, but this was at a level that was uh, unsustainable. There was packing and sorting and organizing and planning and moving and preparing. And then right before uh, the service last weekend, 30 plus members of my extended family came on in to the Bentonville area so we could celebrate her, her life. And I just chose to shut down email and shut down calls for a few days and focus on engaging my family and celebrating and honoring her. And I came away from that with a startling revelation. In those three days, the world actually went on without me. <laughs> in fact, didn't even miss me. And not only that, the shutting down and the pausing allowed me to engage and be more present with the relationships that were most important and most uh, in front of me. Well, that is exactly why we are in this little summer series called Spiritual Rhythms, because spiritual rhythms are the, the habits that God gives us so that we can disengage from the, the normal pace of life that, if you're not careful, will put you on a treadmill. In fact, if anything else, it'll look a little more like a, a hamster wheel than a treadwheel, where you just feel like you're groundhog daying one day after another in the same way. And then God gives us spiritual rhythms to push a pause in those, not outside of those, but in those rhythms so that we can disengage from the activity and engage more consistently with him. And God has a very clear goal. And I guess really at the front end of the series, you've heard it twice from Mickey and from Hunter, but I just wanna add, add my amen to it. The goal to me is so clear and comes right out of the New Testament. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we, we, all of us who know the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior and leader, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so something is happening to us, and it's God's agenda that he does this inside job uh, within us through his Holy Spirit. But all wise and mature and healthy people know that we are always being formed by someone or something. We are being discipled. Maybe by your news feed. Maybe by the cable network you dial into most. Maybe by the people that you listen to most or your favorite podcasters or your streaming services or your social media feeds 
We are constantly being formed. And God says, what I wanna do is be the major transforming force on the inside of your life. I want to be the loudest voice you hear and you respond to. He calls that, according to 2 Corinthians 3, spiritual formation. And I would echo what Hunter said a couple of weeks ago. Spiritual formation, it's simply the Spirit of God forming the people of God so that we could be more and more like the Son of God. God the Spirit at work in our life so that we would become more like Jesus, bit by bit, day by day. And that's the good news of where spiritual rhythms come in. Because spiritual rhythms are the ways we get to engage God in that process. In fact, spiritual rhythms, some people, would you'll see them by your authors called spiritual disciplines. Old school authors and another generation would have called these holy habits. Anytime you embrace one of these, you're choosing to participate with the Spirit of God. You're not performing before God. God is at work in you, and this is your way of engaging the gears with him. And as a result, it's part of training in godliness, not trying to be godly in our own effort. You see, just like there are physical rhythms or physical practice or habits that we can use to to achieve some spiritual health, there are the same in our spiritual life. Uh, The difference is this. A physical habit, you can willpower that if you've got enough of it. I mean, you can drag yourself out of bed and go for a run tomorrow morning on your own willpower. But you can't do spiritual formation by your own willpower. We already read in 2 Corinthians 3 that this is a work of the Lord that said, comma, who is the Holy Spirit. He's the change agent. Our job is just to get on the same page with him. Spiritual practices or spiritual rhythms are part of that. That's why Richard Foster, who wrote such a classic book on spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Disciplines, he said it this way. The needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job, and only God can work from the inside. We cannot attain or earn this righteousness of the kingdom of God. It is a, look at this word, it is a, say it, grace that is given. So spiritual rhythms is just basically how we participate with the grace of God that is doing something on the inside of our heart. And this summer, we chose to take 10 of the classic spiritual disciplines and put them together in a series and put them together in a study book. We could have picked others, but these, I think, were the 10 most foundational. And the reason we picked these is because they break into two groups of five. One group of five tends to uh, have us look, let me back up one, I think. And how about there? I finally got the right slide. One group talks about how we can engage God more. So you see rhythms like prayer and word and worship and confession and service. But another group of disciplines help us disengage or unplug. Disciplines like fasting and simplicity and solitude and silence, and Sabbath. We're gonna teach one holy habit per week, but please see these as a package. You know that if you go to a physical this week, if you have a good doctor, he's gonna tell you there's some healthy rhythms. You need exercise and, and diet 
and sleep. And nobody would walk out of there going, say, my doctor just said diet. I just need to eat more. I mean, we know that he puts those together as a package. We wouldn't take one. And so it is with this. In fact, the foundational parts of the spiritual practices usually wrap around our communication with God, found in word and prayer. If you'll notice, the other disciplines up there help enhance that communication with God. So fasting helps enhance our prayer life. Solitude and silence helps us enhance our meditation of God's word. Uh, The point is this, they come together. And yet we're going to look at them one by one just so that we can understand more of what God wants to do in our life. This makes up the, the practice of the normal Christian life. This is not the super saint on the screen. This is the everyday you and the completely average me. In fact, Foster goes on to say it this way. He says, God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings, people who have jobs, who care for children, who must wash dishes and mow lawns. Fits you too? Me too. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of the normal daily activities. If they are to have any transforming effect, the effect must be found in the ordinary junctures of human life, in our relationship with our husband or wife, our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors. The spiritual disciplines are intended for our good, And here's the key. They are meant to bring about the abundance of God into our lives. And I love that. And yet it makes me say, time out. What about fasting? Fasting feels an awful lot like the opposite of abundance. Fasting sounds burdensome. Fasting sounds abnormal. It sounds otherworldly. Fasting sounds unhealthy. Let's take that one off the list. And yet we know we can't because we know that all mature, healthy adults fast regularly, which is why the very first meal that we eat every day we call break fast, meaning it is not healthy for you to stay up all night long and snack. So we know that's part of a good, healthy physical rhythm, and God builds it into our spiritual rhythms as well. Other world religions are consistent in the way they incorporate fasting into their devotional practice. Muslims globally, worldwide, celebrate the month of Ramadan by a fast from dawn to sunset of every day. But we don't take our lead just from other world religions, so that doesn't help me. What about for Christians? What does the Bible actually say about fasting? Well, here's a little summary Fasting is mentioned over 70 times. It's actually only commanded on a certain day at a certain time, one time for God's people. It's the nation of Israel, Leviticus 23, verse 27. On the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the nation was required to fast. And yet when you read the scriptures, fasting is assumed as a part of a vibrant spiritual life. Fasting and prayer were frequent part of the life of Israel, both individually and corporately. Now, by the time that Jesus Christ uh, was born, fasting uh, had been turned into a practice by the Jewish rabbis that took it out of the devotional realm and they codified it. They wrote it into law and made it part of religious ceremony. And so the Pharisees taught that if you wanted to be righteous before God, you needed to fast two days per week. And the Pharisees chose Monday and Thursday 
because those were market days and they could demonstrate their fasting before public. And Jesus steps into that and says, oh my, you have destroyed the gift. Jesus never dismissed fasting, but he did rebuke the Pharisees for the kinds of fasts that they did because they turned it into a religious performance. Jesus himself practiced fasting. He launched his ministry with a 40-day fast. He wasn't down on fasting. He was down on fasting to try to exalt or better yourself. Either exalt yourself in front of other people's eyes or exalt yourself in front of God's eyes. Self-performance. But in the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus talks about what true righteousness looks like, this is what he says about fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Notice what Jesus says twice. He doesn't say, if you fast. What does he say? When you fast. As though Jesus assumes that his followers practiced fasting. In fact, ironically, in the Sermon on the Mount, this little passage on fasting, right before it is a Little passage that says, when you pray, and right after it is, when you give. So Jesus sandwiches fasting as the normal part of the Christian life just as much as he would praying or giving generously. So for him, the practice is why we fast. That's what the Sermon on the Mount highlights. And he says here, we do not fast to posture ourselves before other people. No, instead, our fasting is a heart posture that's already before God. And we'll talk about that heart posture in just a minute. But a sense of neediness already before God. And that motive is what he highlights even three chapters later in Matthew chapter nine, when he is asked a direct question on fasting. Here's the question. It says, then John's, by the way, this is John the Baptist. John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but you and your disciples, or excuse me, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. <laughs> I would call that a cryptic answer to a very plain question, wouldn't you? The plain question is simply this. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Are they less devoted than John's disciples? And Jesus gives them an answer. And this is the answer. You can look it on the screen. It breaks down like this. Fasting is not appropriate when Jesus, the bridegroom, is present. Fasting is appropriate when Jesus, the bridegroom, is absent, which tells me something about fasting in a holistic picture. 
of the Christian life. It tells me, first of all, that in the spiritual life holistically, the rhythm of the spiritual life is going to include feasting and fasting, which is why Jesus mentions both of them. One of them is appropriate in this time. One of them is appropriate in this time. What were the times he highlighted? Well, he says, when the disciples were face-to-face with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it's time for feasting. We celebrate his presence. But when the disciples are absent, not face-to-face with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in other words, when he has ascended and gone back to the Father, fasting is appropriate. Why? Why is it appropriate? Because fasting enhances our intimacy with the God we cannot see face-to-face. Fasting in encourages and stimulates our communication and our enjoyment of God's presence. You see, fasting was the rhythm that we practice for the purpose of cultivating intimacy with Jesus. And Jesus' disciples actually started to follow this as soon as he ascended back to heaven and the Spirit of God comes and the church is born, you see fasting incorporated into the early church's life. In fact, when you see Acts chapter 13, this is the town of Antioch. Antioch, such a special church in the book of Acts. It was in the town of Antioch where Christians or where the disciples were first called Christians. You know why? Because their lives had the fingerprints of Jesus all over them that the people around them started to mock them as little Christs. Little Jesus is going to work and home and marketplace. And they were contagious as this movement of God was exploding in the church. Well, in the middle of this, it says, while they, the church, was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Don't you see? World missions was birthed out of prayer and fasting. By the way, we're the fruit of that. Out of this little town, this little church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas head off to go reach Gentiles for Christ, and they go throughout Asia Minor, which would be Turkey, and then on the next trip, they go across the Mediterranean Sea and into Europe, and then that thing spreads north through such a rugged terrain of Germany and all the way up into this island called Great Britain, And then they get on ships and they come across the Atlantic Ocean and it lands in North America. And then they take wagons and horseback and even on foot and cross even the Mississippi River and they show up in Bentonville. And we now sit here because a movement 2,000 years ago was birthed out of an intimacy with Jesus cultivated with prayer and fasting. That's why our mission trips, the next two weeks you're gonna get to see some of our global workers in Indonesia You will hear, they just talk about it as though it's as normal as breathing, that part of their ministry includes prayer and fasting. Our teams in Senegal and Mali, uh, our teams in India, all talk about prayer and fasting as part of the environment in which they do uh, their spiritual life. You also see it in Acts 14. After Paul and Barnabas planted some churches, they needed to leave leadership behind. It's a big deal to figure out who's gonna lead these brand new churches In Acts 14.23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting, 
They committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So key decisions were made by church leaders in this environment of prayer and fasting. I think that's why our elders take prayer in seasons of fasting so seriously as they lead Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas. This spring, Abel and Hunter and I were working through a process of, uh, of selecting and adding another community pastor just as small groups have multiplied and flourished. Beautiful thing. We need help. And there just wasn't a lot of clarity for us. And we wrestled all through the winter, pros and cons, all sorts of stuff, not a lot of clarity. Finally, at the end of January, Hunter looked and said, let's take a season of prayer and fasting. And so the three of us decided every Tuesday would be set aside for that purpose for the last four months. And clarity is beginning to come. We start to see that just as we practice a rhythm of looking for God's will. For the early church life, fasting was part of the normal rhythm. So what is fasting? You're going to get way better definition from way smarter women and men who've written on this better than me. But here's how my simple mind would take it down. Fasting is abstaining from something essential for the purpose or the benefit of something spiritual. I believe fasting is a purposeful emptying for the purpose of filling. And this is counterculture because our culture is obsessed with food. I'm in the front of the line. Abel Schaefer teases me and says that I'm a value eater. (laughs) I don't love food. I love all food from all countries. I've been to places and eaten things that ought not be eaten. And I'm still up for trying it. I know, and I'm fully cognizant that in our community, there are people who are food insecure. That is a reality. But as a broad culture in general, we are food abundant. I just spent a week at family camp with my grandchildren. After every meal, the scraps at all the tables that were left and pushed into the trash can could feed a small island nation. If you don't believe me, go to any elementary school in Bentonville this fall, and just what's thrown away could provide more food that any of us could eat for a month on any given day. So in a land of plenty of food, fasting starts to sound absurd. And when we do hear about fasting, it's purely for physical health benefits. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. And you don't need to text or email me that there are physical health benefits to fasting. I'm already sold, okay? But here we're talking about a kind of fasting that is for the purpose of spiritual health. And what makes fasting a uniquely spiritual rhythm is when we choose to unplug from food so that we can engage or plug in more keenly with God. Remember, fasting is this purposeful emptying of something physical for the purpose of filling ourselves with something spiritual. So let's be clear on what fasting does not do. Right up front, let's say it, say it loud. Fasting does not make us more righteous. If you want to know what makes you right before the God who loves you and is purely holy, the one whom we will stand and give account, look no further than the cross. What Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for our sin is enough, it is enough, it is enough. 
And then he put his Holy Spirit into our life to continue the ongoing change of making us more like him bit by bit. Fasting doesn't do that. Fasting also does not make God hear us more. God's ear is already on you and his eye is already on you. He hears you well, he sees you clearly. Fasting opens up our ears to hear him more clearly. And that's what fasting doesn't do. What does it do? Well, first of all, fasting acknowledges dependence on the Lord. Here's what I've noticed in reading the scriptures, that fasting comes up most often for God's people in two times. The the first time is when God's people are desperate. So in the Old Testament, you you read things like King Jehoshaphat, the Assyrian army was surrounding Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat calls a national prayer and fasting time. They were desperate. But the second time you see it come up is when God's people have to make a decision. So in the New Testament, when they're choosing church elders, launching missions, uh, making strategic doctrinal decisions on Jew and Gentile coming together, you see times of prayer and fasting. So desperate indecision tells me something. (laughs) That fasting is an outward sign of an inner dependence on God. And you've been there. If you've had a critical decision to make, Lord, should I leave this job and take this one? Are you calling us to a whole nother career? Are you telling us to move mom to assisted living or move dad in with us? When critical decisions come up, you find yourself way more dependent on God, right? Fasting is an outward sign of that. Same with when you're walking through a desperate situation or a trial. We fast because our souls are as dependent upon our God as my body is upon food. But secondly, fasting creates space to hear God's voice more clearly. My buddy Tom has a really strong prayer life. That's one of the reasons I like spending time with Tom. Uh, No surprise, over the last 40 years of walking with God, Tom has practiced a a very... um, natural rhythm of fasting uh, in, his ha- in his practice with God. And I decided to ask Tom about fasting. And I know the irony of this is thick. I get it. I met him at a Mexican food restaurant. <laughs> we ate two full baskets of chips. And then they brought us ridiculous sized portions. It's funny, we were at a Mexican food restaurant and they call them American sized portions. And we devoured every bite of it talking about fasting. I get the hypocrisy. You can leave that for another day. Here's Tom's big aha for me. Fasting, don't ever talk about it unless you talk about prayer at the same time. Because fasting without prayer is simply choosing to go hungry. Fasting with prayer is the way we get filled with God. He's so right. Let me try to picture it this way. Over the last, uh, I guess it's been about eight weeks now. I was going to say the last four. But the last eight weeks, a very dear friend of mine in this body has been walking through medical procedures and tests to reveal his cancer and how serious it would be. Every time my buddy had uh, an appointment or a key scan or a key biopsy coming up, the rest of us in our small group would put that appointment time in our phone and set an alarm. Whenever my phone buzzed, 
It reminded me to pray and stop, and stop and pray for my buddy. Folks, that's fasting. Every time the hunger pains buzz, it's a reminder to pause and turn my eyes to God and begin to pray and encounter him. Fasting helps us hear God's voice more clearly, but it also reminds us of some other realities that we may not want to see, things about us, because fasting will reveal our false dependencies as well. See, I believe the 10 spiritual rhythms that we have in this guide, the other ones that you practice in your daily life, all spiritual practices are like a window and a mirror at the same time. They're a window in that they let us see through and see God more clearly, but they're also a mirror in that we turn around and see ourselves a little more clearly. What do I mean by that? This time, about four or five years ago, we had a family wedding up in Wichita. About the time we landed in Wichita or drove up to Wichita, Uh, My iPhone died, completely died. Tried all the little hacks you're supposed to hack and make it work. It was just a paperweight. So the entire three or four days I was up there, this thing was useless. You know what I found myself doing? Checking for it far more often than I care to admit. Tapping my pocket to see if my phone was there. Reaching in my pocket, realizing it didn't work. Made me mad started thinking the most important thing in life was this iPhone that wasn't working. You know, I actually had to go take a pickup order at a restaurant and wait four and a half minutes in a line without anything to scroll and look at. It was painful. Anxiety came up within me. So here's what we can ask. Your anxiety, Mark, was produced because your phone died, right? No, no You know that if I came to that conclusion, I would be dubbed as a shallow man. We know that the anxiety was there because all the fasting from the phone did is reveal a dependency that I had created on that phone. And you will find the same. When you choose to withhold food for amount of time, when you find yourself grumpy and irritated and you bite your roommate's head off, you'll try to explain it away as just being hangry. But the truth is, all that emptying did was expose maybe an impatience or a sense of control or whatever your thing is that was already inside of you. Fasting will be a window to God, but also a mirror to ourselves. So how do we go a little bit practical here? Here's some things that come to my mind. First of all, we can fast either out of response or out of a discipline. And both of them are good. What do I mean by response? Well, you might be someone here in the body this morning, if we're a normal church, and we are, many of us are walking through a desperate situation or you have a big decision to make. This, I believe, is God's window of opportunity to embrace him in a more intimate way and fasting can be part of that. Maybe you would set aside one day, maybe a breakfast and a lunch one day this week and devote a little more time to meditating, praying, Uh, Maybe for you, you're in a, again, normal, healthy body. We have people whose lives are going swell, um, swimmingly swell, and there's no crisis, no big decision to make. Then you might see that as a rhythm or an opportunity and a gift of God to actually put fasting into your life as a discipline, to say, Lord, I don't need to just fall back on fasting when the bad times are bad. I can do this when times are good. And both of those can be opportunities. You can choose a partial fast. Daniel did. 
when he fasted from certain delicacies from the king's table. Or you can do a total food fast. I'm just going to forego this meal or these meals. You could also choose different types of fasts. You can do food or types of food. Maybe for you it's not all food. Maybe it's your, I don't want to meddle, but maybe it's your favorite seven brew. Uh, every morning you are Diet Cokes on the hour every hour and all your waking day. Um, or whatever for you, where you would say, I'm setting that aside, a purposeful emptying for the purpose of a filling. Some would say, oh, I would rather set that aside or a sandwich aside far more than media or social media. And for many of us here, you might choose to take one day a week where scrolling or streaming is shut down. And see, I have a hunch some anxieties might bubble up. And God might use that in a beautiful way. In 2003, so it'd be 20 years ago this summer, the church that Lisa and I were serving in another city had just gone through a year and a half of relational conflict and chaos, narrowly avoiding a church split. It was soul-crushing for everybody involved, particularly for those of us shepherding and leading that body. And at the same time, about towards the end of the summer, a fresh move, I can't describe it, a fresh move of God just came through the body. Some people came to Christ, people were coming back to Christ, a genuine sense of sweet love was starting to pour over. And our elders came together and decided that in the fall, we would do a 40-day kind of focused time of spiritual renewal. As we were preparing material for that and getting our small groups ready for that, I kept having this thought I assumed it was from the Lord. Mark, I want you to embark on an extended fast for that entire time. And I ignored it again and again and again. And the closer we got up to that time, I thought, I think the Spirit wants me to do something I've never done before, never done since. I did some research on how to do it healthily. I didn't want to make it a big banner thing. Only went to my family. Obviously, they would know. I went to our elders. Listen, in the late 90s, there were a lot of books written entitled things like Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. I was assuming that once I'd finished this 40 days, our church body was going to experience this breakthrough. I was going to experience a breakthrough. Our family was going to experience a breakthrough. And at the end of the 40 days, I can honestly tell you, I was slightly disappointed. It was a contented, sweet, gentle, quiet, peaceful 40 days in my life. But I was wanting the aha moment. You know, the kind of stuff where someone would call you and ask you to write a book about? None of that happened. Just quiet, contented, peaceful. No surprise, I lost weight during that time. A couple of days after the fast, Lisa came up to me, grabbed me, and hugged me. And she said, what's that? as her hand felt a large tumor that was in my lymph nodes under my arm, malignant, very serious. Had no idea it was there. See, God used the fasting to show me some things going on in me, obviously in this case, physical. Ironically, as I think back on that time, he also used the fasting to show me some things about him. Because I wanted fireworks, and he knew my soul needed peace, 
and quiet and contentment, which is what those seven weeks represented. Listen, I don't know if you'll have a, a story out of fasting, but do we have a lot of stories out of a lot of our spiritual practices? No, we're just grateful for the rhythm of life, of healthily walking with Jesus. And fasting can be one of those things God wants to put in our lives. What we remember is that fasting is part of a rhythm that does include feasting. And it might feel ironic, but I want us to end this message with feasting on the Lord's Supper. Because we just said that fasting was a purposeful emptying for the purpose of a filling. And who exhibited that better and more than Jesus himself, who Philippians 2 said emptied himself, taking on humanity, going to the cross, rising from the dead, so that we might be filled with the life of God. The ushers will serve us the elements. Would you hold them until we've all been served and we'll eat and drink together? Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful to be yours. We are grateful that we do not have to perform, that what Jesus Christ did on our behalf is all that is needed. And so we stand in front of his work and underneath his work, and we celebrate you for that. We thank you for his emptying, for our filling. Draw our hearts closer to you during this season, we pray. In your name, amen. We're going to take a moment to meditate on this scripture by singing a melody that was written to Matthew 4.4. 4.
Let's all stand. Would you look at the elements that are in your hand? Small, thimble amount of juice. A small wafer of bread that some would say, not enough to satisfy. But not us. Because we see Jesus' significance behind the Lord's Supper. We know that the night before Jesus was arrested, or the night he was arrested and the night before the cross, he gathered his disciples around that table. He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, when you see this, don't see just the physical. Remember that my body was broken for you. The physical represents something deeply spiritual. Then he passed a cup and he said, when you see this and drink from it, don't just see the physical. See the cup as deeply significant because it is my blood shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins. But you see, Jesus took physical nourishment to move us towards spiritual significance in him. And then he said, every time, every time you eat and drink of it, you do so remembering me and what I have done for you. And he said, we will do this again until we feast at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then I think the food will be so plentiful, we won't be able to hold it in our hands. We'll keep coming back for more and more and more. But for now, by faith, could we eat this and drink these small elements in his honor, looking forward to the more? name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, your people say, amen. Church, we love you. More than we can say, we love you. If we can connect with you and show you how to engage in the life of community here, our connections team is at the community booth. And maybe even more, if we can pray with you and for you, Phil and Kay are right in front of the baptistry, and we would love to pray for you this morning. God bless you. Enjoy the favor of God as you walk with him in rhythm this week.